0: Yeah, there have just been plenty examples where Kevin Love has, you know, like kind of not shown himself to be a great leader, a great veteran. Hello and welcome to the Friday, April 30th edition of the TV on Basketball Podcast with your host, T.V. Hope you're all having a fantastic day today, and thank you for clicking on to watch or listen to today's episode. Before we start, I do have to plug my other platforms. Remember to follow at TV on basketball on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for updates on the podcast and for other awesome content. If you're on YouTube, remember to like, share, and subscribe. That would be highly appreciated. Just eclipsed 30 subscribers, so thank you guys so much for all your support. And for my podcast listeners, remember to subscribe, leave a review if you're on Apple, and if you're on Spotify, Anchor, or Podbean, Just continue to support in any way you can. Download, follow, whatever it is you do on those platforms. I really do appreciate all the support you guys have been given. I have an awesome show for you today. I didn't do the Raptors breakdown last week, so instead of covering two games from the Raptors um, for the last five days, I'm going to include the Knicks game because I didn't talk about it on the Monday podcast. I'm also going to talk about the Kevin Love incident, um, who I think are going to be the five potential breakout playoff performers which is like ties into the top five Fridays and also who will be better in five years, the Kings or the Wolves. So yeah, very action packed episode. Again, thank you guys for all your support. And with my exam being today, by the time you guys are listening to this or um, which would be later on in the afternoon, my final exam, I'm going to focus more on the podcast, try to work on myself as well. And yeah, going to try and provide the best content out there for you guys, especially with the playoffs coming. I do have guests lined up for the next couple of weeks, so hopefully they come through and we can put on some great shows for you guys. But yeah, besides that, thank you um, again for all the support, and let's get right into the first topic. And we're going to start off with the Raptors breakdown. then do it for Monday, so we will be covering three games today. The first game that happened, which I believe is last Saturday at this point, it was the matinee game. We have the Raps versus Knicks. The Raps lost 120-103. to 103. This game was very entertaining for three quarters, and then they and then the Raptors absolutely fell apart in the fourth quarter. Um, a big performance from Julius Randle. Again, another 30-point performance. Not 30 points, sorry. Yeah, I think it was another 30-point performance. Yeah, 31-point performance for Julius Randle. And, an and R.J. Barrett played absolutely phen- phenomenal in that fourth quarter, hitting the dagger with, I believe, a minute left to just completely sink the Raptors. Um, this game was, like I said, entertaining for three quarters. Um, only three guys really could score for the Raptors in this game. OG Siakam and Fred, um, combined for near eighty, um, for near eighty points. But besides that, no one else on the Raptors scored over ten. So it was basically a three-man show. They didn't get much help anywhere else. I mean, Kemba was okay, eight point seven rebounds. Um, Van, um, Kyle Lowry struggled, one for ten from the field, and Gary Trent off the bench, only four points, two for eight. Just rough that um, those um, those three guys really had to carry the bulk of the scoring and then no one could really step up. And the Raptors allowed the Knicks to score over 50% from the field, 56% to be exact, and over 50% from three, which was obviously a not good combination if you're trying to win a game in the NBA. So rough game for the Raps there. Then we have the Raps versus the Cavs. Um, without context in this game, I did expect the Raps to win quite comfortably, which they did, one twelve ninety six. What I liked about this win is that the Cavs had a mini-comeback at the end of that third quarter, going into the fourth, and the Raptors were um, comfortably closed this game out, mostly because of Malachi Flynn and what he did in that fourth quarter, scoring over 10 points, finishing with 18-5-5. Players like Utah Watanabe stepped up, Freddie Gillespie with six points in this one, Stanley Johnson hitting a clutch three, um, a big three at the beginning of that fourth quarter to kind of extend the lead for the Raptors. Those other players were the ones that stepped up in the fourth quarter, and... Um, it was just a really good performance from them. Ken Birch tied his career high, 14.6 rebounds here. Um, Kyle Lowry struggled from the field once again, but 10 assists. And Siakam led the way in the game. 25 points, very consistent all night long. Um, Gary Trent uh, um, um, was injured that game. I think a lower left leg contusion. And like I said, I just expected the Raptors to win this um, based on the pure fact that Colin Sexton, their best player, was not playing. So, yeah, very comfortable win for the Raptors. And that kind of kept their playoff hopes alive. Now going into this next game, the Raps had to face the Brooklyn Nets, who they did beat the week beforehand um, quite comfortably too. Um, but now this is different. KD's back. and But the Raptors, you know, they stayed competitive for three quarters once again, very similar to the next game. And in terms of this game, it was just very impressive the way that they, um, they were ha- able to handle Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for um, the first three quarters, I mean, Kyrie was struggling bad in this game. Nine points, three for three t- 13 shooting. Kevin Durant, 17 points, but I think majority of that came in the fourth quarter where he scored seven. And the only problem was that the rest of the Nets players played really well. I mean, Jeff Green led the way with 22. Shamit with 14, who struggled pretty badly in that in the game the week beforehand. Joe Harris with 16. Blake Griffin off the bench with 17 as well. And then freaking Mike James. EuroLeague star Mike James. Um, brought over by the Brooklyn Nets. Um, played some big minutes there in that fourth quarter and was able to just slow down the game and absolutely just dissect the Raptors, finishing with 11 points and 8 assists. I mean, it was just a rough fourth quarter for the Raptors. Um, they actually had a lead going into the fourth, but they just completely fell apart. Kem Birch was dominating the boards, 13 points, um, 14 rebounds in this game. Larry had a very good game as well, um, a very good bounce back game, 24-6. and six. Um, Flynn also had his moments, 13 points in this one. Fred Van Vliet struggled. Same thing with Pascal Siakam, I mean. Siakam, man, 10 points, 2 for 16, was absolutely horrible to watch. But, yeah, um, rough week for um, rough game for the Toronto Raptors. And, and it feels like just slowly but surely, the playoff spot gets further and further. The Raptors right now are 12th. They are two games behind the Wizards. And the Wizards picked up a huge win against the Lakers yesterday um the raptors and bulls feel like they're just slowly just like fading away from that maybe it's for the better maybe the raptors get lucky get a pretty high draft pick and to be honest the wizards have just been really fun to watch over this past um few weeks or so so maybe in terms of just watchability i think it's probably best that the wizards actually get this opportunity so yeah raptors run down um hopefully the raptors just like get lucky and maybe strike some gold in the lottery but let's move on to this because there was an incident, incident um, specifically in that Raptors versus Cavs game, and it had to do around Kevin Love, who thought um, there was an offensive foul on to play, um, a play where the Toronto Raptors scored, and he was very frustrated, very frustrated at the refs, and what the ev- the events that um, succeeded that was Kevin Love going to inbound the ball, the refs pass him the ball, and then Kevin Love just kind of just hits it away. I mean, like it's really hard to explain if you haven't seen it, but I'm assuming a lot of people have seen it. But he just just slaps the ball away, doesn't go um doesn't go in any direction of his teammates. The Raptors pick up the ball, kick it out to Malachi Flynn, who hits a three, so it's basically a five point swing there, and it it just looked really really bad, and it went viral all over NBA Twitter. I mean, it was just a rough rough clip to play, um and it really um kind of spoke volumes on kind of um what kevin like how kevin love is feeling about his current situation because obviously kevin Love was part of that championship team on the Cavs when they won in 2016. i believe it was only him and delhi are the only guys left from that championship team obviously delhi left but eventually came back but it's just it's just another example of kevin love showing that he just doesn't want to be there and, there, and there's a keyword there like another example because this is not his first temper tantrum that he's thrown um over these last two years, there were reports that during practice um Kevin Love was like throwing um balls really hard at teammates. I think this is during the John Beeline er- um era of the Cavs. Um, he was very kind of disrespectful in practice or kind of um ticked off in practice. There was also that um, um, play not even a play. It was like that um thing caught on camera where he broke a chair. Last year, and against I think it was against the Toronto Raptors again. I think he either got fined or suspended. But yeah, there have just been plenty of examples where Kevin Love has, you know, like kind of not shown himself to be a great leader, a great veteran, and it, just showing like just unprofessionalism. And especially like that, like especially with like a young cast team, this is just not a good message you want to sh- um share to this team. And, he, and at this point, I think in this point in his career, where he is far from his um, prime self, obviously injuries has a lot to do with that. But when the Cavs are trying to embrace this youth movement, you know, Garland, Sexton, Okoro, um, Jared Allen, and Kevin Love is just kind of contributing more bad to good to this team. And I think the Cavs do want to get rid of him. I think they really do. Um... The only problem is is that he has two more years after this year of his contract. Um, no option, and it's for a combined sixty mil a year. And obviously you don't want to buy that out because that's just a lot of money to be buying someone out, especially with two years left under deal. But I just do not see anyone trading for Kevin Love. Someone who is injury prone, someone's making thirty mil- sixty million dollars over the next two years after this season. It is just not a desirable player to have. But, I mean, his play, I mean, his play himself, like, say if you sign him to, like, a less than $10 million deal, he could help out a lot of teams, whether it's the Blazers, whether it's the Lakers, the Wizards. There's are just some few teams I can name that can use the services, you know, probably better than what the Cavs are using right now. But it's that contract. It is that contract. And, I mean, fair enough, Kevin Love got, like, got the bag. He 100% got the bag in. Obviously, I don't want to count someone else's money, but he is definitely doing well for himself. But he's there with the Cavs. He's kind of locked himself, um, you know, he's kind of like locked himself in the situation. And it's a definitely one that's going to be definitely hard to get out of. You know, after the incident, he did apologize to the Cavs. He did apologize to the media. And I think he also tweeted out that he rises and dies for Cleveland with life, which I'm going to, you know, yeah you know what i mean for the video listeners you see i'm wearing a cap and that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> but yeah i mean the kevin love i think it's probably best that they do part ways whatever direction they go to i'm not sure i mean buyout maybe kevin love can give back 20 percent of the salary who knows maybe they find a trade partner somehow in the offseason which i think is probably an easier time to trade him who knows but th- at the end of the day I just don't think like it's um a great relationship between Cleveland and Kevin Love at the moment. And I think he could still be a contributor to a very good team. It's just how can he get out of that situation? Um is just a big question. Because Kev because Boyd Griffin, very similar situation, large contract, but he was able to get out and he's contributing pretty well to the Brooklyn Nets right now and I think Kevin Love can root that for a different team, so whether it happens or not, I think it'll happen probably this offseason, but the method that they use will have to wait and see. Now let's move on to this, because I was um, like thinking about this, and the Wolves um, got eliminated from playoff contention, I believe it was this week, I think last week. Um, I think I mentioned on my Monday podcast, and I was thinking about the Wolves and the Kings at the moment. I don't know why. But both these teams have been super disappointing, probably for more than a decade now. Because um, I believe there's only one playoff appearance between these two in the last 17 years. That one playoff appearance being the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, making it a couple years ago when Jimmy Butler was on that team, Tom Thibodeau, obviously Wiggins, Cat, and all them. They were in the playoffs a couple years ago. But that was their only playoff appearance for a long, long time. And what was weird is that these two teams, the Wolves and the Kings, were both very good teams in the early 2000s. Especially the Kings, who kind of got screwed out of an NBA championship. I mean, there's a whole discussion for another time, but um, there's that, especially with that team with Weber, Bibby, Christie, Divac, Stojakovic. And then the Wolves, you know, they had an MVP candidate, a yearly MVP candidate in Kevin Garnett. Obviously, the team with Wally Zerbiak, Sam Cassell, and all them. Like, they were good teams in the early 2000s. But from 2004 onwards, it's just been really rough for both franchises. And that has to do a lot with um, ownership. Obviously, Glenn Taylor, like one of the worst owners in basketball, finally sold the team to Alex Rodriguez and his partners. And the Kings, man. I mean, Vivek Ranadive, Ronde- hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Um, very questionable owner as well. Was the guy who proposed a 5-on-4 defense and having one guy camp on the other side of the court which is a really weird thing, but, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But both teams have just not been good at all. And the thing is right now, both teams have a nice young core on paper, you know, and both teams have had multiple high-end draft picks. And if you look on paper with their current cores, they both look pretty solid going forward. But with their management, with their coaching, I just do not know if, like, if I trust them to, like, Capitalize on this opportunity going forward, especially because over these last 16 years, they have proven that they have not been able to do that. So I asked this question to myself: If I had to bet, which team would be better in the next five years? Who would I go with? Let's look at both teams and kind of see where I would stand afterwards. And let me know down below what you guys are. Who do you guys think are going to be better in five years? The Wolves or the Kings? Let's look at the Wolves' situation at the moment, and at at the moment, I, I could confidently say this, I feel more comfortable about their current core compared to the Kings' core. Because right now, Anthony Edwards has shown lots of great flashes in his rookie season. Carl anthony Towns' top five NBA center, D'Angelo Russell came back from injury, but he's actually been playing really well coming off the bench. Whether that's a long-term um, solution, I don't know, because that is a lot of money to give to a bench player, but it is what it is. And you have players, you know, like Jared Culver, top five pick. Joshua Koji, pretty solid. Malik Beasley, who's a very good scorer. I mean, they have some pieces there going forward. And a big thing this year is that they are still one of the worst teams in basketball. And they could have another possible number one pick. To get someone maybe like a Jalen Suggs, a Jalen Green, Cade um, Cunningham, Evan Mobley. Who knows? But this could be something that could be very beneficial to... The Wolves' um, future plans. But here's my issue with this team and seeing how they're going to do in the next five years. The biggest question mark here is Carl Anthony Towns. Because he signed that five year, I believe $190 million contract a few years back, they have him locked up and they haven't taken advantage of the situation they've been given. This year, I think people expected them to maybe make a push for the play in tournament, but they have been nowhere close, obviously, due to injuries to D Cat. They just haven't had a healthy roster. Obviously, the coaching change as well from Ryan Saunders to Chris Finch. A lot of just turnover this year. So, and especially with Cat and the way his year has gone, I think it's fair enough to kind of scrap this year. But Cat has three more years left on his deal, and the quotes are going to have to turn around quickly if they do not want to have another. If um, if they don't want to get, if they don't want to see Cat leave. Because we've seen many scenarios in the past where um, young players see their current situation and they just um, ask for a trade because they just haven't had you know the right support for them um, in the early years of his career. The most recent example being Anthony Davis. And I could see this um, being a similar situation with Towns if the Timberwolves don't turn around quickly. And from that perspective, I mean, say if, does, say if Cat does leave maybe in the next two to three years, in five years, they could be very well in the same exact position, um, trying to rebuild, trying to tank and all that. And Charles is probably on a different on a contender. Now would a number one pick, how about a lot here? 100%. Throw in someone like a Kate Cunningham. Maybe could trade D'Angelo Russell after that. Um, maybe bring in Evan Mobley. I don't know if they want to do that, especially with Kat there. But if they have another one of those top guys, bring him onto the team. I think this team can make some noise with the right um, coaching and the right management. And now with that ownership group gone, bringing in Alex Rodriguez, who is coming into the situation from an athlete's perspective, I think that could be really very helpful for this team. I think that the this Wolves team can turn it around um, um, over these next few years. But it all depends, especially five years from now, if Katz stays around, I feel confident that they will have a very good core going forward. But that is a massive question mark. Now looking at the Kings. And the thing is, I look up and down this roster, and I look at two players, and I think, those are the guys I want to keep. The other ones can trade them. Just trade all of them. And those two players are being are, um, Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox. Luckily for them, De'Aaron Fox is on um, the final year of his rookie deal. Next year, the first year of his five-year extension, I think $163 million. And obviously, Tyler, Tyrese Halliburton is on his rookie contract right now. What I like about this situation with the Kings um, is that, um, one, they're going to have another top-ten pick this year, probably. Um, knowing the draft lottery, they could even jump into the top four if they're extremely lucky. But looking at the current Kings situation, obviously, there's not a lot of, you know, pieces I would like for them to move forward with. Even Marvin Bagley, I just think that his injuries are kind of too hard to overcome at this point. And you just had to continue to build around that backward of Halliburton and Fox. But what the Kings have a massive advantage with over the Wolves is being a potential free agent destination. And this is what I could see possibly happening in the next two to three years. You have Fox, you have Halliburton, that takes up about let's say just over thirty million of your salary. There's a hundred million um, else in the salary. You could use that to sign free agents, to trade for big time players. You have picks, and being in California, which is a massive, massive advantage here, can be a site for the next super team. I really do think that. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets. People were not a big fan of Brooklyn Nets. They traded everything to try and, and build something there with Garnett, and Pierce, and that absolutely failed. Um, but they were still able, six years later, to pick up Kyrie, KD, and Harden, and Blake Griffin to a certain extent. But it's a big city, lots of cap space, and they were able to make moves that way. I can see that possibly happening with the Kings in the next few years because they already have a player there, De'Aaron Fox, who is a, f- a future star, if not a star already, that players would like to play with. Halliburton, same thing. I mean, he's probably not going to reach that star level, but he is a solid, solid NBA player. And with the cap space, with the location, with the possibilities of people like being able to lure players to Sacramento, I think this could be an opportunity for the Kings where it may not be happening as organically as it can happen in Minnesota, but they are a potential free agent destination. Because compared to two cities, I mean, Minnesota, Snowy, and um, then near the north, very. I think they're even more north, more north than Toronto, um, funnily enough. And the Kings, you know, Sacramento, California, and stuff like that. I mean, it is a potential destination for free agents or people who are looking to get traded. And these two um, situations, whether it's the Wolves happening organically, maybe they turn things around, or the Kings building it through, like, super team methods, I think there's a very—you can make an argument for both these teams. So let me know what you guys think down below. What, um, what team um, do you think will be better in five years? If I had to bet, I would say the Wolves, just because they have the pieces already. But a lot of that fringes on Carl Anthony Town staying. And that is a massive question mark. But if you argue the Kings, I could definitely see that argument. Especially like, like with the things I mentioned earlier. With already Fox and Halberd in that team. They have something they could build there. And obviously a top 10 pick this year that could really help out their chances. I could see... Um, some good things happening there for the Kings. But yeah, let me know down below who would you guys have being better in five years? Wolves to Kings. Now we're gonna go into this week's top five. Again, just like last week, technically not a top five. I mean, I'm not gonna go anything from descending order five to four, five to one and stuff like that. But the playoffs are just around the corner. I'm recording this currently on a Thursday, April 29th. That's why under the Raptors' rundown, I wasn't talking about the Nuggets game because I'm recording this beforehand. I still think the Raptors are going to lose. But back to this top five. The playoffs are around the corner. We are about three weeks away. And there are a lot of just, like, um young blood, a lot of just players who have a chance to, like, a lot of, like, potential breakup performers here. And I have five here that I want to discuss who can, I believe, have a chance – to break out and do just extremely well come playoff time. You know, kind of like how Tyler Hero did last year, kind of how Jamal Murray kind of elevated his game from potential top five point guard to playing at an elite superstar level. I see that can happen to plenty of guys here um, in the NBA, especially with a lot of first-time you know playoff performers. So uh, here I'm going to be talking about five guys who I think have a chance to really break out come playoff time. And I'm going to try to do one one per team. I, I don't think I doubled up on the same team. No, I did not. So, yeah, let's talk about these five players. Number one, let's talk about Michael Porter Jr. And the reason I'm doing him first is because I talk about him way too much on this podcast because I am a huge fan of this game. But I think that he can be a massive difference maker come playoff time. Because, like I mentioned earlier, he asked last year if he can get more shots, more opportunities, and sadly with, um, with Jamal Murray going down, He has been forced in that position, and I think he's been um, doing really well there. Especially looking past All-Star break, he's been averaging, you know, after the All-Star break, 22 points a game, 8 rebounds, 57% from the field, 47% from three, and 78% from the line. Not only is he scoring in bunches, he is scoring efficiently. Very efficiently. And with a potential first-round matchup between the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets, I think with LeBron James coming back, you know maybe he's going to be pretty rusty and all that. Um, Michael Porter is going to have to be absolutely massive for the Denver for the Nuggets to even have a chance. And I can see Michael Porter, given this opportunity, with Jokic being a center, giving you know setting him up in multiple different ways. I can see him averaging near 30 points a game, maybe 27 points a game in a series, and keeping it a close series um, against this Laker team and you know, like making it hard for them to win. This could be a career-changing for him, and this could change kind of the outlook of this Denver Nuggets team going forward. Because with Jamal Murray coming back next year, we know what he could possibly do in the playoffs. With Jokic having an MVP season, adding in a third star in Michael Porter Jr., who could possibly average over 25 points per game. And if he could do this in the playoffs, I think could be a massive plus for this team. And they could be, honestly, a future dynasty if they can keep this thing together. So... Yeah, one of my breakout performers, I have Michael Porter Jr. Another guy I could see making some noise in the playoffs is the Atlanta Hawks and their guy, not Trey Young, but John Collins. Now, John Collins, yes, he has had a slight um, dip in production this year compared to last year. I mean, last year he was a 21-10 and 10 guy, this year 18-8. and eight. I mean, there's been injuries, obviously, but it's also been... You know the the resurgence of um, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Trey Young is having another good year, kind of a different style of play, and his numbers have taken a dip because of it. But the thing with John Collins is, and like I said, and I think if you guys have listened to the Hoop Talk podcast, which I was on Wednesday talking about the Eastern Conference teams, I mentioned that John Collins is still not signed to a long term extension. One of the few guys from that draft class who haven't signed an extension. And he wants the bag. I know, like um, money, like being the kind of motivation for you, especially in a playoff time, could be dangerous. But I do think that John Collins wants to prove that he can be a number two guy on a very good playoff team, and this is his opportunity. I, um, the Hawks definitely going to need it, especially against, um, possibly against a New York Knicks team who is having an awesome, who's getting an awesome year from Julius Randle, RJ Barrett. And who, have, and who is one of the best defenses in basketball they're going to be locking onto to Trey Young a lot in that possible series, and someone's going to have to alleviate pressure off him um and, Jan, and John Collins could be that guy like I mentioned earlier, he was averaging 21 and 10 last year, so we know that he has that ability to take his game to the next level now if he could do this in the playoffs, I think the ca- the Hawks will be very comfortable giving him the money um near max money come this off season. But it's like it depends on how motivated he is, and I know he has that in him. He's a good two point shooter, very athletic, very good lob threat, solid rebounder. I think he could be a very important piece of, um, to this Hawks team going into the playoffs, and maybe he could even take his game to the next level and really um, help this team possibly get out the first round. It's going to be a tough task, but John Collins is going to need help to just step up in order for this team to be successful. The next guy I do want to talk about is a guy on the Celtics, and you may think you may look at the stats and be like, "Hmm, how could this guy be a breakout player for former?" I mean, he is not even averaging over; he's not even averaging ten points a game. He just doesn't f- seem like a guy who's going to make much of an impact. But if you don't know Payne Pritchard of the Boston Celtics, um, one, congratulations on him for signing that deal with Nike, but two, he has been a good bench piece for him for the for the Celtics especially in scenarios where Kevin Kemba, Kemba Walker has been in and out the lineup due to injury, Prain Pritchard has been one of their bright spots coming off that bench. And I know 8 points per game, 2.3 rebounds, 2 assists, is nothing too impressive. But what I like about this guy is that he doesn't play like a rookie. He's smart, he can hit the 3-ball, he's not afraid to go into the paint. And for a very bad Celtics bench, he has been one of their bright spots. Now, Kemba Walker is going to get a majority of the minutes in the, in the playoffs, obviously. Um, like he did against the Raptors. Like he did against the... Um, I forgot who he played in the first round last year. But, um, yeah, he was a big part of that. I think they were facing the, the 76ers. And with Evan Fournier struggling, with Marcus Smart kind of been up and down, I could see Payne Pritchard taking this opportunity and getting some big moments in the playoffs, especially in a, in a possible matchup versus the Bucks. I could see him being a low-key X-factor for them. Now, is he going to be averaging 20 points a game? No, I don't see that. But possibly maybe 11, 12 points a game, hitting key shots laying games. Someone who's just fearless, someone who can just bring that energy off the bench is super helpful for a Celtics team who, at times, just do not play with enough heart. And I think Payne Pritchard could bring that to them off the bench, and I think that he could be a key playoff contributor um, come a couple weeks from now. Now, is that a lot to ask for someone who's a rookie? Yes, but I think that he kind of has that Tyler Hero kind of, not swagger, but just kind of that like confidence about him where I think he's just not afraid of the big moment and I think that he um, can be just a good contributor for them in those um, key moments. Next player I want to talk about is DeJounte Murray. Now, I think at the moment um, he is kind of just outside the top ten in terms of point guard play. Obviously, this season only averaging fifteen point seven rebounds and five assists. But as of late, he's been av- having absolutely phenomenal um, performances. I think multiple triple doubles for Dejounte Murray as well, um, helping the um, helping the Spurs maintain um, their their playing spot at the moment. I mean the last two games 22 points a game 22 points 10 rebounds 11 assists in that loss to Miami but in that big win versus the Wizards 25 17 and 5. And I know his stats don't jump out at you 15 7 and 5. But for some reason in my head I can I feel like this guy could be a Drew Holiday type player um in his career. The ultimate Swiss Army knife in the playoffs. A big guard one of the best defending guards in basketball. Someone who can who's okay at the three ball, 35%, um, who can rebound, who can assist, um, can just do a bit of everything. And I think that he, he is someone that could be very um, important to the Spurs come playoff time. Because like I mentioned with John Collins earlier, a lot of eyes are going to be on DeMar DeRozan as their number one scoring option. And someone's going to have to help step up if they want to be competitive. And I think Jam- and DeJounte Murray can be that guy, especially if it's a Sun series where both teams are not very experienced in terms of their young guys. I can imagine a scenario kind of like the Pelicans versus Trailblazers from a couple years back um, where the Pelicans swept the Blazers after just locking down Damian Lillard and CJ McComb and all that. I don't think that's going to happen against the Suns, but DeJounte Murray is going to provide problems to both Chris Paul and Devin Booker in that series. I can see him possibly even having a 28-6 you know, sort of averages during this playoff run. I think he's just going to be a fun player to watch, and I think he could be absolutely dangerous. And I think in this playoff um In these playing tournament and possibly in the first round i think he could be he's just one of those players to watch and could possibly break out and then finally i know this guy is a top 20 player and it's gonna be it's hard for a top 20 player to break out but devin booker the suns have clinched a playoff spot devin booker another fantastic year over 25 points per game um, um four rebounds four assists Another great year for Devin Booker. Made another all-star appearance. But people have been waiting to see Devin Booker come playoff time. And obviously, the Suns haven't made in the last 11 years, so Booker hasn't really been close to that opportunity um, bar last year. But I believe that Devin Booker is just one of those players that are just built for the playoffs. Someone who can hit big shots. Someone who you just trust to have with the ball at the end of games. One of the best, the best scores in basketball. Also improving in other areas of his game, like passing. I just think that this guy can um, take his um, game from here all the way to a top ten, you know, player type level. Come playoff time, he's just that gifted, and I think that he's been waiting for this opportunity, like many of us, to go into the playoffs. And I think he's going to take full advantage of it. Now, do I see him being the leader? No. But Chris Paul is there. Chris Paul is going to give him all the opportunities in the world. you got a good defense surrounding him. They have the pieces to be a very good playoff team. And I think that Devin Booker can even elevate his game even more when the lights are on him, when he's in high-pressure situations. I think that Devin Booker can be absolutely phenomenal this playoff run, if given the opportunity, of course. Um, Either way, in the first round, he might have to go up against, you know, Damian Lord and the Blazers. Maybe the Grizzlies, maybe even a team like um, this. I see that maybe the Spurs or the Warriors, depending if they get the number one seed. But Devin Booker, I think this is his chance to kind of take his game and like throw him into that atmosphere of like top 10 players under the same breath as those as like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic. I think he could even elevate his game up to that level. And this playoffs could be the chance for him to do so. He, the Suns are going to be one of those teams to watch in the playoffs, obviously being one of the best teams in basketball in the regular season to see how they're going to do come playoff time. But Devin Booker, he is the one guy who I think is going to kind of take, take the NBA world by storm and play even better than what he has shown over these past few years. So yeah, those are my five potential breakout playoff performers. Let me know if I missed anyone. Who do you guys think? Do you agree or disagree? Let me know below. Um. Also, DM me. I would, I'm willing to talk some basketball and discuss these with you guys. Some other news and notes to end today's podcast. Um, Marcus Smart has been suspended, um, because for directing a th- um directing threatening language at a ref. Um. This actually ties into another thing in my news and notes. Um, yeah. This this is I don't know. It's a bad luck. I mean, maybe it's a reputation thing for Marcus Smart as well. But yeah, did that really deserve a suspension? I'm not sure. I haven't even really looked at the video, to be um, completely honest. Um, But, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, Speaking of clinching, um, the 76ers um, clinched the playoff spot this week. I mentioned the Suns did, and also the the Nets. So the top two seeds in both conferences both all clinch. Let's just see how they're going to do come playoff time. John Wall will miss the remainder of the season due to a hamstring injury. Um, honestly, it didn't seem too serious, but with the way the Rockets are going, trying to get the number one overall pick, they're probably just doing the same thing that the Thunder are doing with, um, Al Horford, except they at least have some sort of injury to tie into that. So, yeah, I don't know what his future there is in Houston. Um, it really looked like they did lose that trade for Russell Westbrook, but it is what it is. Um, John Wall had his moments in the regular season, but, um, the Rockets feel like they're just trying to lose. So it is what it is. Um, let's see if they can get the number one pick though. And speaking of the, um, this ties into the Marcus Smart thing. Um, maybe not that point in particular, but it just made me think of this thing that happened in Wisconsin where, um, they're actually, they actually are voting. And I think the vote passed where harassing and assaulting refs will be called as a misdemeanor. And I think this will just feed into, and I wanted to talk about this quickly because, the refs have been power hungry a lot this year when it comes to throwing out players, technicals, you know, dictating the game the way it is. And a lot of fans, a lot of pundits have been criticizing them for that. And I seen this tech talk where, um, this guy became a soccer slash football referee, um, to try and like build hit um kind of build his character like not caring what people think. And what this is doing is making it so the refs um kind of like may use their power for bad and if they um, deem um, a situation kind of as something that's harassing or assaulting this can get a NBA player some jail time and this is just not a good idea in my opinion and I think this could be extremely rough for, um, for one to players and I think this is just not a good look on the refs especially because there have been some crazy um, calls that the refs have made that have been horrible I obviously talked about the text the ejection stuff like that the refs already have a bad rep right now, and I think this will just continue to, you know, put a spotlight on them and just have more hate. And I think this could possibly be a really bad idea. So, yeah, let me think down below. Am I blowing this thing out of proportion, or do you think it's gonna, gonna kind of make the situation worse? And I think this is what we're gonna today's episode. Thank you guys for watching or listening. Remember to show love on all the podcast channels. Like, share, and subscribe if you're on YouTube. And remember to follow at TV on Basketball on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for some awesome content. Next week, I, ha- I plan to have a guest on for next Friday's podcast and also for a lot during the month of May because of a lot of things that are happening in the NBA. So hopefully we can get that done. Again, thank you guys for all the support on the podcast um, and all the support on the Instagram page, which, I've, which has actually been doing really well lately. So I want to thank you for all that. Um, hope you have a fantastic day. TV signing out. Take it easy, guys. Peace.